and we've known this mechanic for a long time and I, I have let him know of my, um, not great, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Car knowledge. Super auto tech Intelligence in the car area. Like (laughs) we obviously all know we're like car (laughs) (laughs) Auto car mobiles. Mechanics. Machines. Metal. Engineering. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Hi, and welcome back to Montessori Moms in the Wild. My name is Rachel. I am a mother of one with one on the way with my training in infant toddler, which is birth to three years old. I am here with Megan, mother of two, with Montessori training in lower elementary ages six to nine years old, and Laura, mother of one who has her Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary ages six to 12. We also have a guest that is joining us tonight, Nicole, and we're so excited to welcome her. Before we dig in deep with that, let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week? Laura, do you want to share in first? I guess so, although it's a little bit going to steal. It's a little bit going to steal Megan's thunder because a huge highlight was that we went to a birthday party. We went to our first ever birthday party, really, because she's not even had her own birthday parties. And the birthday party was to honor Megan's baby boy, who's not a baby. He's one. He's one now. It's fine. I'm fine. I can tell by the way that you're rubbing your forehead really hard and leaning over your desk. I can tell. So that was just really, really sweet. It was so cute to see. And she's like, you know, she she can get excited about it in advance because like she hasn't again, hasn't officially ever been to one, but like sees them in things and in books and such. So she was like, cool, a birthday party. She asked me like cupcakes. And I was like, I think there will be cupcakes. And then asked repeatedly if Rachel and Finley would be there. So um, I just love how much she loves you guys. And I love watching our kids just like grow up together. That's just always going to be my highlight. Anytime that we all get to hang out, it's going to be my highlight for my Sharon. Rachel, you'll love this. So Laura's daughter shows up to the party finds a book and wants to read. (laughs) There's like a room of kids and animals and like everything is chaos. There's a puppet show. The show is about to begin was announced probably 10 times from the little theater area. And she was like, I think that I would like to enjoy some literature right now quietly in the corner. And I'm like, whose kid is this? Because like I'm looking around like there are other adults here. I need to go talk to them. I need to introduce myself. Who are they? They're looking at me. I haven't even talked to them because my little Montessorian is like, (laughs) doing her own thing um so yeah that's my highlight Megan I might as well just pass it to you now I mean it was also my highlight but uh (laughs) it was a little bit stressful 
planning this first birthday because my son was born in, you know, the midst of all of this pandemic craziness. And so we didn't really celebrate him. I didn't have a baby shower. No one came to visit really after he was born. So I just felt like I needed to celebrate him. Like I just felt like the worst mom ever. (laughs) I was like, we have to do something for this child. All he gets is hand-me-downs and, (laughs) you know, nothing, nothing is just his. So we started to plan a party. I rented like a little bench at a park because last year at this time, it was like 75 degrees and beautiful outside. So we were going to have this park day and I was like, that'll be easy. We'll just do like pizza and cupcakes and the kids can play at the park and then, and you know, kids get cranky, they can leave. And the day before I go outside and it's like 30 degrees and I was like, (sighs) we are going to freeze having a bunch of one-year-olds and up toddlers outside in 30 degree weather. So I kind of scrambled last minute trying to find a venue, calling people. And I'm like, can I come do my party there tomorrow (laughs) with a bunch of children? And I found this cute little discovery room and they had, like Laura said, they had a kind of like a puppet theater and just like all these taxidermy animals. <laughs> and some live animals. There were snakes and, and some snakes and terrariums. And like yeah, it was cool, dude. It, it was, was cool space. No, it was cool. And um and it just kind of I don't know. I felt like it was perfect for my little for my little guy. So yeah, it was it was nice. I cried all day. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Also, P.S. I'm not fine. (laughs) Rachel. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to think about another birthday. I feel like so depressed when my child grows up. Yeah, it's awful. Well, you know, we're just over here getting the stomach bug again. Again, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. It was like Friday. I think it was last Friday morning. I walk into Finley's room and he just says, ew, ew. And I was like, oh gosh. And my first thing, you know, I just thought, well, he pooped in his diaper darn oh well because he's in underwear now so that really hasn't happened lately no no the crib was full of puke oh god it's the worst my pregnant self is like already dry heaving before i even open the door oh no and i'm screaming garrett help but we survived garrett never got it he just felt bad for about six hours but of course i woke up monday morning with fun times so but we're all good and well one of these days we are all gonna share in something that doesn't involve someone being violently (laughs) ill yes i was gonna say one of these weeks we're gonna share in and we're not gonna be sick We're all going to be healthy. I'm manifesting it because last week you were so positive, Rachel. I'm just going to say. That's true. I wasn't. It bit me in the butt too, didn't it? Then I got <laughs> sick and Laura never got sick. Yeah. I got it's sick. It's true. Megan's manifesting force fields engulfed around me and I never got <laughs> the bug. But Rachel, you were popping holes all in it and look, look. Look what the universe did. No, look. I'm just kidding. This is not that you're pregnant. <laughs> also, you're a toddler teacher. Pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. There was no yeah. stopping this. There was no stopping yeah. it. But Megan over here, wow. <laughs> just wow. Coming at me hot. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. All right. There you go. There's our weeks so far. Thanks for sharing, friends. Let's get into today's topic. Laura. Yeah, so today we are thrilled to introduce another guest. We have joining us tonight, Nicole from Montessori for Moms. Nicole is a fellow Montessori mom in the wild. She is a mother of two with her training in primary, so that's ages three to six. Through her blog, Montessori for Moms, she aims to be a resource and provide creative content and ideas for parents, teachers, 
and homeschool families who are interested in involving themselves or their children in Montessori. We first found her through her Instagram, and it's packed with helpful tips and bite-sized education. So Megan stalked her for a little bit. We like bolstered up some courage and decided to ask her to join. And we are so excited that she has agreed. She said yes. Um, she said yes. <laughs> and that we get to hear all of the vast amount of wisdom that she has to share. So Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. All right. First... Let's get to know you a little bit. So tell us like about your experience, your own childhood and your own education and how it brought you eventually to Montessori. All right. Big question. So I am actually the product of homeschooling all the way from K through 12. 20 years ago, when I was a kid, homeschooling was still very counterculture. Now it's kind of more accepted where we are in the U.S. It's kind of a lot more common, especially after COVID. It's a lot of people became homeschoolers, and, but back then it was not uh, very common. And so my mom, being the awesome educator that she was, chose to give me and my sister a really great independent and self-directed type of education. She was doing it in a Montessori way without knowing what Montessori was. Um, she was an educator originally in a really urban area. And so she, her first week of teaching kindergarten, and I promise this story has a point. First <laughs> week. If it's okay. Most of mine don't. And it doesn't stop me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> she had one student and this is kindergarten. So we're talking like five-year-olds walked up to another student unprovoked and stabbed the kid <gasps> in the back with a pencil. And oh had to call the nurse. The pencil was sticking out of the kid's back. And she goes, <sighs> nothing from college is working. This is her first week of teaching. Everything the textbook told me is not working. I'm trying all these strategies. Like, this is crazy. So she had a lot of autonomy at her school and could choose to change up her classroom. She had a huge classroom full of kids. I think it was almost 30 back then before a lot of regulations were in place to keep class sizes smaller. And so her principal basically said, try what you want. And she ended up setting up her classroom very similar to a Montessori class in that she had a lot of independent activities out, not so much learning centers, but different activities for kids to do on their own to promote concentration. They did a ton of just working on social skills and those conversation skills back and forth. She gave them extra outside time. Um, and it, worked very well. Her kindergarten classroom turned around and everybody was wondering, why is this so successful? So she had me and decided there's no way I'm going back to work. I want to homeschool. I want to you know, give my kids a great education. And so my childhood was very aligned with the Montessori philosophy in that we were um, always doing stuff that was promoting independence. Everything was meant to be self-directed. We followed our interests. Lots of stuff was done outside. I grew up on a little farm. So a lot of times I'd go and do my math out with the chickens or we would incorporate um, different nature studies and science and whatever we were learning to things that could be done hands-on. And so my mom had no idea what Montessori was. And it wasn't until I was an adult going through my teaching certification in college, I was taking a teaching class and was looking at different schools to observe in the area because I had to get a certain amount of observation hours. And I saw a Montessori school. I had no idea what it was. So I Googled it and I thought, oh, that kind of sounds interesting. I want to go observe there. And I did. I was there the whole eight hours. And within the first 20 minutes, I just knew 
this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. This is how Same. I was mm-hmm. raised. Like, how is this not everywhere? Why are people not right. talking? How did I not know about oh this? Oh my gosh. I mean, it was totally. this huge thing. It, all, all this time I had thought homeschooling was the hub for your self-directed learner, right? And then I realized there was this whole other area of people that have been doing this for a hundred years, over a hundred years, and nobody's talking about it. So that night I went home, found a training center that happened to be um, within driving distance of where I live. And it's one that people come from all over the world to get trained. And so I finished out that school year and got my Montessori training and have never looked back. (laughs) So I feel like so many people when they find Montessori feel the same way. They're like, why didn't I know about this? It can be so frustrating. And I feel like that's a common feeling when people discover it for the first time is why didn't I know about this? Why didn't anyone tell me? And why aren't we talking about this? And let me talk your ear off about it now that I know. I do agree that I feel like a lot of Montessorians have that unless you were raised in it by chance, which is very few of us. You find it at some point in college at some whatever weird spot in your life journey and go, what the heck? Why is this Mm -hmm. not everywhere? We did cover a little bit in our story about Maria, why that ended up being true in the US and such a bummer. But um, I love it. I love your journey. It's, It's perfect. It was like just meant to be. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have a Montessori inspired farm. So what does that look like and how has it benefited your family? Share with us. Yes. So I run a Montessori inspired farm school learning pod. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, It's for ages four to seven. And I also reside on a small farm myself. If you haven't heard of a learning pod before, I'm not surprised. It's a really new um, terminology that's out there. It kind of came about after COVID hit. Uh, Basically, it's a small private group of students who they all learn under the same educator in a shared space, which could be a park, a home, a nature preserve, a farm, you name it. And so learning pods became an additional option for families during COVID in the state of Texas, where I live, for people who did not want their children to go to public school, but wanted more assistance in homeschooling. It also gave a lot of extra socialization options and creates a really good core group of people that you see every day while still being led under a teacher. So my mom has run an educational farm in our local community for many years, and her and I have dreamed about opening up a outdoor preschool for a long time. But Local licensing requirements are really strict where we are when it comes to outdoor environments and farm environments. If you have a chicken on your property, you pretty much cannot get licensed. (laughs) And so you would have to lose, where we are at least, you would have to lose the farm element to run an outdoor preschool, a licensed outdoor preschool, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. So when the learning pod option became available, it gave us the opportunity to open legally with a little bit more of relaxed requirements. So it's just incredible. So farm schools and forest schools are pretty popular in Europe, especially in the UK and a lot of the northeastern states of the US. It's a a bit more common, but not where I am. The nearest thing uh, to us is a few hundred miles away. So they are in demand and they're slowly coming back on the scene, which is awesome. My daughter is starting in fall at a forest school. I'm so excited. A Montessori uh, inspired forest schools. Well, because it's also hard to find the Montessori inspired part. You might have forest schools and farm schools, but there's Montessori might not be involved in it yet. So um, we really kind of 
just sandwich the two together. There's a few that I've heard of that do this, but we wanted to combine the two because we didn't want to lose the the Montessori curriculum materials and philosophy. And we wanted to have that solid outdoor component to it as well. So we just kind of sandwiched the two together and it's gone Great. So we run on only just an acre of land and we utilize that acre about as much as we can. (laughs) A lot of people think you need a really big plot of land to do something like this, but there's really so many possibilities with just a little acre and it's all about how you arrange everything and set up your outdoor environment. So if you can imagine... We have like a perfectly square acre. It's fenced all the way around. So the children have the freedom to run and we don't have to worry about them escaping. It's all within a good That's area. A deal, yeah. Right, exactly. So there's, they know that they have tons of freedom because that safe boundary is there because we do have woods behind us and, and that sort of thing. And so anyway, it just creates a great environment for them. So we've got an outdoor classroom right in the center of the acre. There's no walls. It's just basically a large covered carport. So you still get a breeze. You still get to see everything around you. It doesn't feel like a closed-in classroom. And there are shelves all over the classroom, lots of different manipulatives for them to use. And so since the classroom is central, teachers can still see and monitor the whole acre wherever they're deciding to go and learn and experiment and that sort of thing. And so we Near the outdoor classroom, we have a really large swing set. It's used for a lot more than just swinging and sliding. (laughs) The slide is often used for lots of science experiments and different things. Kids test speed, velocity, object mass difference, all of those big things. It might look like they're just rolling a rock down the slide and then rolling a smaller rock down the slide. But that's where all of those big picture concepts are being acquired because kids are learning through the senses at that age, which we all know as Montessorians. So I also like to have a lot of swings (laughs) on our property. And that's because they meet really different needs for different kids. Um, I find them absolutely vital in my program because the rocking of the hips motion that kids do when they're swinging back and forth and they're pumping their legs and that sort of thing, it's actually creating oxytocin in the brain. Oxytocin is known as the happiness hormone, and it's also the communication hormone. Uh, I tend to have a lot of children in my program on the autism spectrum or kids who are nonverbal or have limited verbal skills. And so the swings help, especially if they go their right first thing in the morning. It really helps to engage their brain in a way that encourages communication and puts them in a great mood. If you've ever done recess with kids, most of the time, in my experience, a lot of them run straight for the swings. And it's something that until I learned what it's actually doing, I was like, why Why do they all run straight for the swings? I don't know. But it's because it creates that oxytocin in the brain, gives them a great boost of um, happy hormones, communication hormones, and just gets them ready for the day. So swings are super important in outdoor spaces for me. That Hold on. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're on a roll and I don't okay. want to I don't want to <laughs> no, break your stride, fine. but you just blew my freaking mind with that. I had really? okay. no idea. It makes yeah. so much sense. As a teacher, I have a I have a lower elementary classroom, so first, second, third grade. There is never a point, and especially when multiple classrooms are on the playground at the same time, we have access to one playground that has a swing set. And it's probably nine swings and there's never an empty swing throughout the whole process. It's a revolving door of kids, right? But the right, swings right. are constantly swinging. My two-year-old for her birthday, 
all she wanted in every book, everywhere we went. She even got to the point where she was asking our Alexa for a swing set. It's all she wanted. She loves swinging. She would do, yeah. she would spend her entire day on a swing. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing. Oxytocin, that's the same um, hormone that's released when you're nursing, right? Yes, like that's, yes, yes, absolutely. That's that, that that contributes to that feeling of bonding and yep, and communicating yep. in like the first way that you, you that you can. So that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, there's a scientific reason behind it. Um. So I yes, swings equals super important to me, and I don't mind if a kid wants to swing for an hour. Let them swing because you never know what has been going on at home. If they come in and they want to swing for an hour, there could have been something bad that happened at home. And that swing set is their release to get that worked out of their system. So to me, I never look at a kid swinging as a waste of time. It's always they are working through something or they're getting ready for something or it's just going to help no matter what. And even as adults, it's good to go swing every now and then. If you've ever jumped on as an adult and kind of remembered, oh my gosh, yes, this feels so good. It's because you're getting that oxytocin boost in your brain. So um, yes, super cool. I could talk about swings all day, but moving on. We, uh, we also like to utilize a lot of natural materials on the farm, just like you would see in a Montessori classroom, you know, it doesn't have to all be wood, but when possible, we like to use those things that you find in nature just because of that connection that you get a little bit better. Um, we do have tons of plastic too, but whenever possible, we try to use something natural if we can. So we have a lot of different areas that are used for different things. They serve different needs of children while kind of People, traditional view of society might look at that and go, oh, those are learning centers. They're not necessarily set up in that way. It's more here's just different areas and you get free range of this, but it's different areas for, for kids to use things. Um, so we have a rock pit with shovels, dump trucks, buckets, because rocks is a great uh, sensory feeling. Kids like to stack them, dump them. It's great sound, depending on what the child is needing for the day. We have a dirt pit also right next to the rock pit because dirt is a very different sensorial experience than rocks. <laughs> so dirt is also there with the shovels, the buckets, the dump trucks, or whatever else they end up bringing over there. We also make sure we have water nearby if they want to make mud. I am all about kids getting as dirty as they want to. I clean them Absolutely. up before they go home, but make the mud, get dirty, do all that stuff. Um, and then right near there as well, we've got some large stumps that were just used from a tree that fell years ago. And so we've got like five or six big stumps that are just kind of arrayed there. And kids use it for, uh, they jump on them, jump off of them. They do all sorts of um, play scenes. They set up with the animals. They tie rope around them. And their favorite thing is to uh, lean ramps, like just wooden boards. I call them ramps, but they're literally just wooden boards. And they roll down um, rocks and cars and different things. And so because you've got different heights of stumps, you've got different uh, rates at which the rocks or cars go down. And so all that learning is going on there as well. Got a whole physics lab set up Absolutely. right there. Exactly. Yeah, for real. Uh, yes. And so it doesn't have to be, it's not rocket science. It's just really simple stuff. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It's things that we already have around. Instead of just throwing things out, we go, how can we use this and set it up in an aesthetically pleasing way that can be used for experimentation? So and you're, you're letting them play. 
absolutely does sound simple but we i feel like we get so far away from that in just our society well at school definitely at school like we as i feel like as teachers almost a lot of teachers feel guilty for letting their kids play too long like we got to get back in we got to get ready for this we got to do that Mm -hmm. we have these lessons and (laughs) laura's shaking her head pointing in my face (laughs) and it sounds like or you need like all the toys out like we have the toy shed at school and I'm always like the first teacher who goes out there I'm like just run go play for like at least like five to eight minutes of just like no nothing getting out of the shed just go and be free and they're like staring at me like but I want the red bike I'm like no go go run first go I swing. just I feel like Nicole I just love what you're saying because I feel like it gives I'll just talk as a parent for a second I feel like it gives us permission as parents to just let them play and you're giving us so many reasons why it's beneficial and it's not a waste of time you don't need to be doing anything else if they play all day you're like making those connections of why this is important for their brains and they're not doing nothing, that this is such important work for them. So I think this is this is great. Let them play. That's kind right. of my takeaway from this. Well, and Maria Montessori said play is the work of the child. That's exactly. probably the most common um, phrase we hear from her. And I think as Montessori teachers, and it also depends on your background, because there's so much that goes into creating a teacher or a mom or a parent. And we have all these things that we carry with us when we have kids and it's, oh, play is not learning anything or it's a waste of time. Like what you're saying, we have to, we have to make sure we get our math facts done. We have to make sure we do this. And you miss so much if you focus just on those academic, and I use that in quotations, academic things, when all of like what you're saying, playing, experimenting, getting dirty. There is so much learning involved in that and it gets overlooked so easily and so quickly. And I find a lot of people when they come to my program, I explain your kid is going to go home and they're going to say they played all day. And that's exactly what I want them to say, because I don't want a parent to go, huh, they've been playing all day. I make it very (laughs) clear from the beginning. That is what I want them to say. It feels like play. They're learning stuff and we provide opportunities to put different lessons in and different learning objectives, but it feels natural like play. It doesn't feel like you have to sit down with a teacher and have a 20 minute lesson of something you really don't want to do. And it's pulling you away from something you really want to try. It just feels like play. So that, and I think it's hard as Montessorians too. Sometimes you feel like you have to teach the hundred board and you have to teach this and you have to get through those things. And sometimes it's really just let's take a step back and see what they're learning through their play because I might not have to get sit down and give that really extensive lesson it might just be something simple that I realize they learn in a different way so I think it can be you can have a lot of pressure depending on what you carry with you to kind of like you were saying get through those things and and really play is just the goal some of the other things that we we have, um, we do have a mud kitchen, which is super simple. I, I call it a mud kitchen just because people know what that is when that term comes up. But it's really just a long wooden table with utensils, a dirt bin, and water buckets for them to create and dig and all that kind of stuff. We have a wooden playhouse right next to the mud kitchen with a sunroof, so it lets in the natural light. It's got some big windows. Um, kids do all sorts of throwing things out the windows, bucket transfer, lots of gross motor movement happens there, which is really important. Um, It's gorgeous. We had someone who donated their time and did a Japanese wood burning practice to preserve the wood. So you look at it and it blends in with the natural elements around 
it. It's not like this white and pink painted playhouse. <laughs> it just, it blends in with the trees and the wood, but it's so quaint and gorgeous. And um, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It's just plain wood. We've got a large chalkboard out there for art and um, different experimentation with that. It's not always chalk that goes on the chalkboard. Sometimes it's mud, sometimes it's water, whatever they feel like doing. We also, one of the things, my favorite spots on the farm is our garden. And it's also very simple. In Texas, we have to use raised garden beds because our natural soil here is not conducive for growing vegetables and and fruit. It's full of clay. You can't just go dig and plant something. You have to mix the dirt correctly to get something to actually grow. So we have to use raised garden beds. And some people go all out with that kind of stuff and spend hundreds of dollars making this beautifully raised garden bed. And ours is just cinder blocks around a rectangle. <laughs> and so that's all it is. It's cheap, it's easy, and it does the job and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. So next to the garden, we've got a compost pile. Kids do tons of digging for worms. They fill up the garden with compost on their own. Um, they're involved in that process. They know that things that they have from their lunch that's um, left over, like orange peels and banana peels that goes in the compost. So they see from fall to spring, it's turned from icky produce to nice compost. They've seen that through the year. Um, I have kids that bring stuff from home over the weekend on Monday to put in the compost pile because they don't have one at their house. <laughs> so they're very committed to oh, um, that. doing that. Yeah, it's it's so cute. Um, and then we have a little worm farm, which sounds really fancy, but it's not. It's just big Rubbermaid bins with holes in the bottom <laughs> that have compost in there. And the kids also feed um, different banana peels, apple cores, things like that to the worms, and they turn it into compost uh, in the matter of not days or weeks, depending on what gets put in there. And so we use the worms and put them in the garden um, every couple months as they continue to reproduce. So it it's all about the circle of life and that sort of stuff. And so the kids get to see firsthand all of that working together. That's so cool. It is. I love it. And you can actually, if you didn't know, you can order worms online, just like you would go and order lots of other things. So we ordered beginning of the school year, 600 worms. And now that has like tripled. What's that? What's that set you back? 600 worms. What's the going price for it? I think it was only like $60. It's not that much. And so you can get less. No, it's not. It's not that much. And uncles are cheap. They are. (laughs) And they were like, cause you, there's different kinds of worms in case you didn't know that there's Uh, compost worms. And then there's the night crawler worms, but they're like compost worms are skinny. Night crawlers are the big, thick ones. We want the big, thick ones. So that's what we ordered. They're a little bit more expensive. I don't get endorsed by this company, but Uncle Jim's Worm Farm is incredible. Oh, there you so go. That sweet. was going to be my question. <laughs> I was like, where does one go to find my, <laughs> my Of course you worms? go to Uncle Jim's Worm Farm. <laughs> right. Of course you do. That makes perfect sense. So you just buy him online and he ships it to you. And um, he is he leaves lots of great instructions in there on how to start lessons on it with the kids, care, and that sort of thing. Um, we, we love it. So yes, getting 600 worms in the mail was the highlight of the week for those kids. <laughs> and they got to just put their hands in and like have it full of just these worms it was awesome Um, and I can't I can't forget about the animals because that's such a huge part of what we do I know not everybody has access to to animals but anything gerbil hamster fish dog cat animals are so therapeutic and such a 
an integral part of everything we do here at the school. Everything lives pretty communally. So the goats and the turkeys and the pigs all live together. Um, Our rabbits live all together in a big, huge pen. So you have Montessori animals. I have Montessori animals. I never thought of it that <laughs> in way. Mixed age groupings living together in I a community. I never thought of that. That's so brilliant. I'm going to use that now. That is great. Um, yes, and mixed age groupings, all of that. That makes so much sense. Everyone is welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we Normally when you go to a farm, you see, well, depending on the farm, but some farms you see lots of small cages. Animals live in small enclosures, and we're not about that. We want them to live as naturally as they would normally. So the rabbits live in these huge pens with uh, wire that's about a foot under the ground so they can still dig and make tunnels and all that kind of stuff. And the kids can see all that firsthand. And they live, all the boys live together and all the girls live together. So we don't have any surprises, Um, but the kids can go in the different pens and (laughs) and see all of that. Um, And then our chickens free range in the afternoon. So they're up during the morning when the kids are there, the kids let them out before they go home. And so they get to see them eat the bugs and all of that. And so the, the kids just have access to all of that, which is great. And then we've got an outdoor sink for washing hands and eggs, outdoor bathroom, a feeding area for the animals. Um, everything is low to the ground so the kids can access it. And um, yeah, that's the farm. It's amazing. I want to like fly on a plane and go right now. <laughs> anytime, anytime. No, visit. Would- <laughs> can I come be a student at your school? Like I don't even want to come teach at your school. I want to come live yeah, I don't at want your to school. Teach you I want to be a child at this school. Oh my gosh. This place sounds amazing. Obviously my own child. I would also love to be there, but like <laughs> if I can come too, that would be ideal. I know. I was going to say that my daughter would freak over some horses. Oh, yeah. You don't know this, Nicole, but I have a horse lover, Yay. but I um, was interrupted by Laura saying that she herself was. <laughs> I was like, my daughter would love this. <laughs> no, forget the kids. I'm going to push the toddlers out of the way. I am going to this school. I like horses I'm, too, Megan. I'm more excited about the worms, honestly. It's what <laughs> me I'm... too, dude. Me too. Anytime, anytime y'all want to come, y'all are welcome. And I absolutely mean that. Us Texans are hospitable. And so we say what we mean and you're welcome. <laughs> and we'll have a glass of sweet tea in the fridge for you. So yes, anytime. Sold. So <laughs> we'll write it off. All right. So you provided us with some of your most frequently asked questions in your online community. So let's dive into those for a second. So one of the questions you get often is how do I set up a Montessori outdoor space in my home, which makes sense because I think you're talking about all of this. And like you said, not everyone has access to animals or even a large outdoor space. Right. Acres of land. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and then also we see these things on Instagram and, and they can be inspiring and also they can sometimes be kind of daunting to look at that and be like, Oh, I don't even, I have like a patch of grass in my backyard. What Mm -hmm. am I supposed to do and how do I set this up? And it seems like you already offered a lot of options that it is simple. It can be simple. So what are your biggest tips for parents who want to incorporate this into their home, um, but don't know where to start? 
Yes. So totally agree with what you say. It seems like when you start looking on Pinterest and Instagram, oh my gosh, everybody has these super extravagant spaces and I can't make that. And I don't have an acre and I don't have 10 acres. I don't have all that. How do I do this? So, and, and what can happen too is you're like, well, I have to buy all this stuff. Let me buy the big fancy mud kitchen and let me go buy these cool things. And and then you spend a lot of money and your kid doesn't play with it. And you're like, all right, now I'm out all this money. I thought I was going to play with it. Montessori doesn't work. I spent money on it and gosh darn it. It's not, it's not working. Um, so don't go buy anything. <laughs> I love that. I love that already. <laughs> don't go buy anything yet. Don't buy anything yet. Really one of my favorite things to have because I rarely find a kid that just won't play or work with something like this is a mud kitchen. And a mud kitchen doesn't have to be the fancy thing with the coordinated cabinets and all the cute little uh, pots and little utensils and things like that. It can literally just be a little bench or it can be cardboard boxes or wooden crates that you find out in somebody's dumpster. Like it, it can be just a flat workspace, a flat raised workspace. A picnic table also can work really well for something like that. Something that gets kids off the ground because not every kid is comfortable working on the ground. They want that um, kind of heightened area to work. And so all you have to do is just put a few things there, put some containers, some, everybody has old utensils in their kitchen that they haven't used in a long time, put some different spatulas and scoops and things like that for them to have access to. It doesn't mean they have to sit there and and make little recipes and stuff like that, but they might use it for other things. Um, So putting some tools out there that kind of catch their eye, like, huh, that hasn't been out there. And that looks interesting. What am I going to do with that? Kids will create their own stuff to do with it. You don't have to have nice little fancy laminated recipe cards of how to make fairy soup and all this kind of stuff. They oftentimes kids just want to do their own thing. So I tend to have things and suggestions that have to do with building, mixing, gross motor movement, water play, and some kind of art. That sounds like a lot, but really those things are all very kind of different outlets for kids. And if you don't like paint, that's fine. Because I've met so many people that say, I don't want to let my kid use paint. I don't want to clean it up. Let them use mud. Mud is so much easier to wash off than paint. (laughs) All you need is a little bit of water. It washes off a fence post. It washes off tables. um, It comes off of clothes in the washing machine. Like you don't have to use paint. And mud is a great creative outlet for if you've got paintbrushes or something like that. Mud can be used as paint. Um, Water can be used instead of paint. So keep it really simple. Go on a scavenger hunt, find a bunch of sticks, find rocks, um, things like that. If you don't have a big yard, just go on a nature walk. You can use parks, you can use nature reserves, you can use the uh, sidewalks near your building because usually there's at least some kind of patches of grass somewhere for you to get that. Um, So you don't have to have all these big spaces to do those kinds of things. And then just start observing. What does your kid do when he or she is out playing in your backyard or in the park? Um, Are they digging? Are they picking up leaves? Are they looking for bugs? Are they throwing rocks? Are they stacking sticks? Once you find that kind of an interest, then provide the simple materials to help them expound upon that. So if they're really into stacking, I had a toddler who he just for like six months stacked everything. It didn't matter what it was. And so he was really interested. He didn't want to do anything else but stacking for like a straight six months. And so we stacked rocks and we stacked cars and we stacked puzzle pieces and we stacked sticks and anything we could find, we just stacked. And so it was just about having those few things out 
for him to fulfill that need that he had. I didn't have to go buy anything. I just found stuff that we already had or um, repurposed some things. So it didn't have to be like we went out and bought all these perfectly cut circular little log pieces and things like that. It's just things you already have. And, and earlier, like when I was talking about different spaces that we have here on the farm, it sounds like a lot, but really each child doesn't use all of those spaces at once. We have, we have a variety because we do have 12 children or more at a time on the farm and they all have different needs. But most often I find that each child has like a staple three or four things that they use regularly. So you don't have to go and buy all these different things. Look at the few things your child likes to do when they're outside and then provide some really simple materials to let them build upon that. And so that's why we observe first and then make adjustments just like Dr. Montessori taught us to. Observation is the key. Um, It's not going and buying all the cute things on Amazon. Observe first, use what you have, and then leave the big presents for Christmas or birthdays for grandparents to get. <laughs> you don't have to spend a lot of money on this stuff. Yes. <laughs> <Good idea>. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I love I, lo- I love that because I feel like it takes the pressure off. Like you don't, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just just get out there, watch and observe what they're doing and and that's enough. Like that's, that's enough. And it, because I feel like it can be really, it can be an obstacle for some parents to feel like they need to provide everything first, especially when we say over and over, we say, prepare the environment, prepare the environment. And they're like, okay, well, I need to get all the stuff and I need to do the stuff. And the nice thing about outside is it's prepared. <laughs> it's ready to go. <laughs> and um, they are motivated and excited to go out there and explore. So, all right. So the next question that you often get is, can you walk me through your school day and what do the children do outdoors? So great question. I, yes, I'm going to walk through that day quickly. So kids, arrive and we have um, a a staple spot in the beginning, right? When they first walk in, they change into their boots because we require boots on the farm. That's really important. And so each kid has a spot where their boots stay throughout the week. Um, They're actually just turned over on PVC pipes. That way no water gets in and animals don't get in either. (laughs) They just sit there and then they switch out their shoes, put on their boots and they're ready to go on the farm. Um, And then right after that, they start their farm jobs. Uh, So that can be kids are assigned different jobs for a month at a time. So they really stick with something for a while. Sometimes we'll even make it a little bit longer, um, depending on what we're noticing, if kids are really keen on sticking with what they have, or we need a little more practice. So we observe the group and kind of adjust from there. So farm jobs, for instance, let's say I'm a kid, I've come in, I've changed my into my boots, I've had a few minutes of playtime, time to say hello, put my stuff down, I start my job. My job is chickens. So I'm going to go first thing I'm going to do is go scoop the right amount of food that they need. So I get the pail, I get the scoop, I scoop what I need. I've already learned that job. Or if it's a new job, the teacher's helping me learn what that is. Um, Then I go feed the chickens. I check their water, make sure their water is clean. If it's not, I'm going to get the hose or have a teacher help me if I can't do it myself to clean out their water and fill it up. I'm going to check for eggs. If the if the nesting boxes are dirty, I'm going to go get fresh hay and put fresh hay in the nesting boxes. If the eggs are dirty, I'm going to go wash the eggs in the outdoor sink. And so all of this, while it sounds like, oh, they're just feeding and watering chickens, no big deal. All of that is it requires so much executive functioning skills. So that's, I need to go and get the scoop. 
I scoop the right amount of feed. I have to go open the door of the chicken pen. I have to make sure no chickens run out when I'm going in the chicken pen because that's what they want to do. Uh, I close it behind me. I go and make sure the the bowl is clean. I have to dump it out or clean it if it's got anything dirty in it. Then I pour the food. So all of that, those step-by-step processes are what helps prepare kids for long division or four digit addition with golden beets, because all of those things require step-by-step processes. And so if a child can't work through those things in order, it's not going to transfer over to other more academic skills. So all of that works um, together. So then next, after jobs are finished, um, kids have an outdoor work cycle. So if you've uh, research Montessori a little bit, then you might have heard the term work cycle. So we, it's an uninterrupted period of time where kids have to concentrate and, and work on things that they're choosing. So because we are half outdoors and half indoors, I have an outdoor work cycle and an indoor work cycle. So after farm jobs are done, kids have about a two-hour cycle outside They can choose to go interact with the animals some more. They can do work on the shelves, uh, do any kind of experimentation or exploration with their friends or different things we might have set up on the farm. Lots of art. There's always nature lessons or nature opportunities going on. Gardening gets done every day. There's farm projects. There's there's always something on the farm. Kids, I really don't ever have a kid that comes up to me and says, I'm bored. Give me something to do. They find something to do. (laughs) And so... Uh, Just like with an indoor work cycle, having that uninterrupted outdoor time is super important. 20 minutes, 30 minutes of recess is really just not enough. Um, And you don't get to that deeper level of thinking. If you've only got 20 minutes to do something, you're not going to go and observe an anthill for that 20 minutes because you want to go play and you want to get your energy out. You want to go play with your friends. But If you have two hours to get some of those things kind of checked off your list and what your body needs, then you might go, hey, I want to go see where are those ants going? What are they building? What are they bringing into their anthill? Hey, Miss Nicole, what do ants eat? Where's the queen? I mean, that's when all of those things start coming up when you've got that longer period of time. And we know that from being Montessorians and when we have that two, three hour work cycle is that that's what all those big questions come up because you give them that amount of time to really delve and think and ask those big questions. So I feel like that is so, so important what you just said there, because and I'm guilty of this. I feel like we take our kids outside and we're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to spend the day out here and we're going to be, I'm going to be that mom. And then they either aren't really interested or they're not really sure what to do. And you, you have to give them adequate time to get curious. And so, and kind of what we talked about, you're like, okay, they do, we, we put them out there and then we think, okay, Montessori doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> didn't work for us. Right. And you know, you you really do you got to invest the time and really let them get curious about their environment and what's going on out there. You have to give them that time and that space. That's that's really well and consistently too. Like you have to consistently yeah. offer that kind of experience because the first couple of times you take your kid who usually chills with an iPad and a bunch of cool toys exactly. inside outside for two hours because you listen to this podcast and you think, well now they'll be fascinated <laughs> in five right? minutes and for the every five minutes for two hours you're gonna get I'm bored. Can we go inside? Right. I watch TV. I watch mm-hmm. it. I want to see that I do that. And they don't want to be out there because they have to kind of build up that skill again, because sadly, most of us and our kids don't get those opportunities and don't know how to cherish them in that way. So not only do you have to offer it, but you have to keep offering it because it's a little bit of like untraining the way that we have been taught to structure our spare time, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I just kind of like for parents that it's okay if you haven't been doing this and it's okay that it doesn't magically, it's not this beautiful thing that you imagined it would be the first time or even the first few times that it takes, it takes the commitment the time, the effort, and it will come. So I just don't want anyone to get discouraged if they're like, okay, I listened to this podcast and now I'm going to get outside and it didn't work, but it takes time. Um, so after the kids have their outdoor work cycle, we go in for snack. They wash up, um, they have snack that they brought from home. And then immediately whenever they're done, they know to put up their things and they start their indoor work cycle. And that's when um, they start requesting individual lessons for me, or I will invite them to a lesson or um, things that we have outdoors often make their way indoors. So our science studies normally revolve around whatever's going on in nature around us. Um, and so all of that just happens as it typically would in a, a typical Montessori classroom. It's a small little space. It's a living room we turned into a classroom. Um, it's got beautiful windows that look out into the woods behind us so kids can still do lots of observing, bird watching, and things like that. If it's a pretty day, uh, they also have a porch they can go out and work on if they want to. Um, but it basically looks looks very similar to what you would see in a typical Montessori classroom. Kids get to work on the floor. They work at tables. They work together. They work apart whatever um, their needs are and they go through their work cycle. And then after that they have lunch and they go home and it's, they go home tired, <laughs> but happy <laughs> little individuals. And um, it's just a beautiful, refreshing day. I'm so inspired right now. I know. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> jealous. I'm going outside right now. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> okay. So our next question here is where do you source your materials, curriculum, or printables for your nature and science studies? Awesome. So one of my biggest frustrations for a long time was not being able to find really quality Montessori compatible materials. So, and when I say Montessori compatible, I mean, I don't, if I'm going to be teaching about owls, I really don't want a cartoon owl with a graduation cap on his head holding <laughs> yeah. a school. Yes. Like that's not the picture I want. Give me nice vintage illustrations or something realistic or a realistic picture. That's what I'm saying. Um, and so it's really hard to find those things sometimes. It and it's also hard to find things that don't cost you an arm and a leg. Um, mm -hmm. So I ended up just making my own. <laughs> I spent a few years really just learning a lot of different programs and starting to make my own. And um, I needed things that weren't just three-part cards. Um, so not just things that were just naming parts of the body or parts of animals. That's all great. And I utilize those things too. But the science curriculum can be so much more than just three-part cards. And I feel like a lot of times you can walk into a classroom and that's all you see on the science shelf. You see the maps and you see three-part cards. <laughs> and I, nature study is just so much more than that. And so... Oh my gosh, you are so... Yes. <laughs> right? And so... but. Yeah. But we need those things to purchase and so it's hard. And I don't say that to knock Montessori teachers, but it's just, you can't always find those things out there. So one of my goals has been to create really um, inexpensive or free resources for moms, teachers to use. And so I'm actually um, almost finished with a resource library that's going to be on my website that will have those kinds of nature studies and things that can go into a Montessori classroom. Because I try to make everything Montessori compatible. I want it to be able to go on my shelf or to be able to go into someone's home and be a really great just segue into whatever curriculum they're using. What ages do you cater to 
with these resources? Three to nine. That I've okay. I, since my certification is in primary, ages three to six, and I've worked in a lower L classroom as well. That's what I'm most comfortable with, and that's what I tend to fit um, the materials with. Um, so yes, it's even harder to find things for older kids. So I hope to one day fill that need also, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, but yes, the three to nine age group is what, what I'm typically um, creating for. So when I'm searching for printable materials, I'm looking for those more detailed pictures, more realistic looking things, because when you want kids to be able to look through encyclopedias and things like that, if they're looking through a cartoon book, they're not getting the real sense of what something looks like or feels like in nature. So something that represents natural elements or animals as clearly as possible is what I'm usually looking for. It does take more ink on the printer, but I find that an okay trade because I find that kids hold more captivation for the materials. Just like with anything, just like we spend so much time and care with looking for and caring for our sensorial, our math, our language materials, I find the same care should go into the printables that we choose or the printed resources we choose. They should look pretty. They should be aesthetically pleasing. They should be interesting to kids. And so that's what I that's what I try to do. But before I learned all of that, I did have some great places that I bought from and uh, there's things that you can find for free and people that I still use. So one of the resources that I love, and this is great for, it doesn't matter if you're practicing Montessori or not, anywhere you are in the world, you can enter into this little curriculum and it's called Exploring Nature with Children. I don't know if you have ever, any of you have ever seen it before, Mm -mm. but it is Mm -mm. super simple, um, but still so pretty. (laughs) She it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff for the six to nine age range, but it's very easy to apply to three to six as well. Um, but it's basically, it's basically weekly themes for nature studies, depending on what hemisphere you're in, you can change the the week that you're doing. So if it's talking about, hey, here's the summer solstice lesson for the week, if you're in winter in your part of the world, you can just use the winter lesson. So it's not that you have to follow it to a T, but it gives you that flow of the seasons. So in the spring, you study spring trees and birds and nesting animals and ants and all the things that you see naturally start to come out. That's what you study. Um, so there's different writing prompts, there's poetry, uh, different, uh, usually language prompts or nature journaling prompts that are involved in the in each weekly theme. But if you don't want to get out into all of that, it just gives you ideas of where to start. Okay, this week, frogs. Let's go search for frogs. Let's see if we can find tadpoles. Is there a pond nearby us? Do we hear the frogs at night? Like, And so it gives you something to just get started with and dip your toe in the water. It's super easy to to start with. So I love everything that she creates. She's got a great Instagram that's really approachable as well. It's just, here's your weekly theme, gives you an idea of where to start. Um, and if you've got older kids or if you've got kids that are already writing and reading, it also gives you some kind of more academic type stuff to weave into there as well to, to um, influence by the, the theme that's going on. Um, And then another company I really love is Little Spark Company. She is um, Montessori supportive. Tons of her stuff is great to go just straight on a Montessori shelf if you're a teacher and that's what you're needing. I love her nature materials and her art materials. She's got really creative stuff that you can't find anywhere else. Um, And again, using those really beautiful vintage or realistic looking pictures and everything that she creates. Um, And then the other thing, this is for... 
this has been my saving grace as a teacher and a mom on a budget. <laughs> um, I'm now a creator with this bundle, but I was a customer for years and it happens a few times a year. It's called My Mega Bundles. It's a very inexpensive but huge pack of just printable resources. Almost all of the creators are Montessori aligned teachers or moms. Um, so you get a ton of stuff that's just easy to put on your shelf or in your home. Um, and so right now there's, there's one that's about to start. It actually started today and you get 3000 pages of printables for $25 and it just fills your resource library with tons of stuff to use. So literally I just got today stuff on frogs and worms and bird watching and pollinators. And there's math prompts, there's language prompts, there's science prompts, there's nature journaling. There's tons of stuff to use for those ages three to nine. Um, and so it also gives you an idea of unit studies of where you can start. There's book suggestions. So it kind of just gives you an all well-rounded thing. And it doesn't have to feel overwhelming, but you can pick, hey, I know my kid's interested in this right now. Let me grab those couple things and we can look at that. doesn't mean you have to use all 3,000 pages of everything, but it's an easy thing to kind of pick and choose what, what you need in regards to science and nature with Montessori influence. Well, I'll be looking into that after I order my worms. <laughs> <laughs> so the last one, although I just like want to keep you here and I, cause I have a lot of very specific questions just for myself <laughs> <laughs> to keep you here forever. But, um, our last question that you get from your community is how do you decide what to study in nature, which I think you kind of started to talk about if someone doesn't know where to start. So, you know, you, you're coming into this, you listen to this podcast, you're like, okay, I heard about this Montessori thing. And I think I'm supposed to go outside and look at frogs. Uh, <laughs> what do I do? How do I do that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. If you don't want to purchase anything, don't want to use a curriculum, like where do I start now? Um, so start with where you are in your season. So start with something you can study right now. It should be at least a little interesting to you if you're someone who is bug phobic, which I know is not a word, but whatever that word is for being afraid of bugs, don't start studying bugs because your child is going to not be interested in it at all. Start with something that you're at least a little bit interested in um, because that interest will rub off on your child. They feed off of your energy and passion. So if you're not passionate about it, they are not going to be either. Um, so start with something simple that you're interested in, that your kid will likely be interested in, um, and something that is going on in your season. If it's winter, don't study butterflies and caterpillars. You're not going to see any. <laughs> they will not be there um, because it's not the season for them. You want to study things that you can get a hands-on experience for if possible. When you're building those observation skills and the interest in nature, it helps to start with much more concrete experiences. That is what the three to six child that's what their developmental needs are. They need to experience things through their senses. That's what they're absorbing everything through. And so it helps to start in those more concrete experiences. The more abstract concepts is great for the lower L or elementary child. You're six to nine, nine to 12. That's when they really can grasp those really abstract things. You can study Arctic animals and African animals, and they can write all these great research papers and do all these projects on all these things. But for the three to six child, it really helps to do concrete um, nature studies. For example, in wintertime, every classroom always studies snowflakes or arctic animals. <laughs> it's just kind of what a lot of a lot of classrooms do. Um, nothing wrong with that. Where I am, we don't get snow. So when you Google what to study in winter and it comes up 
snow and Arctic animals, that doesn't really serve my kids because we get snow like once in a blue moon here. So studying snowflakes is not a great concrete experience for these kids. They haven't seen it. They don't experience it. So one thing that is concrete for us in the winter is owls because the time changes. And so we get daylight hours that change. You can start to see owls a bit more in the morning. They haven't quite gone up to sleep yet. So we will still hear them calling to each other. Sometimes we see them fly and that's a little bit more of a concrete experience. We also dissect owl pellets and do some great hands-on lessons on that. So that gives them something concrete. They get to experience that. Um, So that's not something you can get with a polar bear or a penguin at this age. Um, Again, Arctic studies are great, but it's just think about the child and their developmental needs and something that you can get hands on. Now, that's the greatest place to start. And then if you want a kind of a bit more of guidance with ideas, the Exploring Nature with Children curriculum is great for that. Like I talked about earlier, it gives you those weekly kind of starting places and, and go from there. So if your child isn't showing specific interests and you have no idea where to start, just start what you're interested in. What questions do you have? You don't have to have all the answers. Um, you have libraries, encyclopedias, and Google. We have, we have apps on our phone that literally you can hold over a leaf and it will tell you, oh, this came from an oak tree. And you're like, okay, great. It's like you can use the technology that you have to really learn about nature. It doesn't have to be separate. Um, So utilize your local resources. Go to parks. If you live in an apartment complex and you don't have greenery around you, there's usually a park or a nature reserve or a zoo or rescues or something nearby that you can find to get that outlet. And that's one of the great things about where we are is we usually have a lot of those options. So don't let a drive in the car stop you or something like that. Just find a little bit of something um, to involve yourself in in nature, involve your child in nature. And then over time, you're going to see those observational skills and that desire to be outside more start to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. Like you were saying earlier, Laura, it does take time. But if you commit to it a little bit, a few times a week or daily, if you can, it is going to get better. Wow. Well, I am, I think I can speak for all of us that we are so inspired by this. You have so much knowledge. (laughs) Laura's brain is just scattered (laughs) on the wall behind her. (laughs) My brain is exploding right now. I have so many things to say. I'm going to wait till we wrap it because no one else needs to hear all these things that I... I know. Well, I, I feel like we need to bring you back with all of our personal oh, questions. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I also want to bring you back. I could listen to you talk forever. Um, I love that you are quick and on point, but you're also covering so much good stuff. It's just so like- much good stuff. So if if anyone wants to find you or learn more about what you do, where can everyone go to check out your you're just mind blowing content. So Instagram is the best place to find me. Um, that's where I, I post a lot of little tidbits about outdoor learning and Montessori and that sort of stuff. Um, and that's where I answer the most frequent messages. So Instagram, my handle is Montessori for moms. Um, and you can find me there and there's lots of free resources that I love giving away to other people to use too. So Yes, I love chatting with um, anyone who wants to. And um, so, yes, anytime somebody has a question, they can reach out and reach me there. Awesome. Okay, so let's lighten things up to finish out our show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. Who has a confession to share? I just have a dumb mom moment. Like today, 
when I thought it would be really great to go to Costco at four o'clock on an afternoon with my child who just had the stomach bug who hasn't pooped in like two days because he's been holding his <laughs> diarrhea. Oh so. so how'd it go? How was that experience for and you? And it poured down rain and I am 31 weeks pregnant. So I'm just going to throw all that out there. But we survived. I just went to the Costco bathroom three times in like 40 minutes and he literally didn't do anything anytime. I think he just was like, oh, a new bathroom. Ooh. <laughs> And then we get to Chick-fil-A and I'm like, we're doing carry out because drive through was too long. So I go, I'm like, let's run in. It's pouring down rain. And then he's like, pee, pee. So we run to the bathroom. He actually did use the toilet there. But I was like, dude, do we really, like, we live five minutes from this Chick-fil-A. Can't you just wait? I have a toilet in my car. No, we have to do a tour of toilets between Costco and our home. I <laughs> yes. would like to see all of the toilets, we, we Mother. I would like to choose. All the toilets. I would like to choose the ideal toilet. I really do think that's becoming a thing, though, because I feel like every time we go somewhere now, even if it's for, like, a split second, he's like, bathroom? <laughs> and I'm like, you hold it for like two, three hours at school. So I don't really think we need to try every bathroom in every new environment. Well, but That's where you're wrong. I think you do. I think you do. <laughs> Clearly. He, he's right and I'm wrong. Um, gosh, I feel like I need to go before Megan because assuming that she has one, it's going to be... It's going to be the best one. It's going to be lengthy and the best. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. Um, I feel like I had one... I had one earlier. I was like, oh, this is what I'll do. And then I lost it. But I maybe can replace it with <laughs> Come on, Laura. I maybe can replace it with another super Now you're getting yelled at by Rachel. <laughs> Come on, Laura. I can replace it with an equally cliche mom type moment, which is that I only have the one child and she's still young enough that she isn't super hooked on crazy processed sugar sweets and stuff like that yet I've been I've done a pretty good job so far I know the day is coming she'll go to more birthday parties have more this and that and be like why don't we have all these things all the time and then I'm going to be busted because she'll also be taller by then and she'll (laughs) see that we do have those things we do have them but I'm eating they're for me not for you and so today she came running into the kitchen and I was not paying attention and I had half a giant chocolate chip cookie just like ah just cramming it down the pie hole as quickly as I can and she scared me and I turned and I had it visible and she goes cookie cookie baba Cookie Bawa, because also every R is like followed Everything by a uh sound yeah. right now. Pawa, yeah. Cookie Bawa. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, do you, would you like a cookie? And she's like, yeah, totally. You are I'm like, hey, my friend. you go sit on the couch, I'll get you a cookie bar. So Cookie Bar is my nickname for these little like healthy like date and nut bars <laughs> that are definitely not real cookies, but obviously super sweet because they're dates. And her body's not shot yet like mine. So she's like, this is sweet and delicious. It's nature's candy. And I'm like, get this out of my face. I need a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> so I quickly finished the cookie and gave her her cookie bar, quote unquote. And she was super happy. And I was so relieved. And I only have so many more of those left before she's like, no, lady, I see your game. Give me the cookie. Yeah, you cookie. had a real cookie. Don't give me a freaking date bar. But maybe not. Maybe I'll luck out. I will also, Megan, when we went to the birthday party, there was a table of pizza and cupcakes and candies. And my kid picked an orange out of the bowl and wanted to <laughs> diligently peel and eat the orange. 
she or read she a book did. and ate yeah. An so again, I don't know where she even came from. That's the Montessori. But, um, child. I guess it's partly confession and partly like celebrating myself. Like I'm doing something right, but I, as an adult, am my child ate six cupcakes. <laughs> she, ate, she ate everyone's cupcakes. So she was going around to people's. Yes, yeah, I, you know, and obviously, like I was there and I was trying to host and I was trying to watch my one year old and she was going up to the table I found out later from many witnesses that she was going up and taking (laughs) cupcakes and eating them and then going up to other people's plates and taking them off like just sneaking them off of their plates she stole several slices (laughs) she took her brother's cupcake her own brother's birthday cupcake and we found her with it at the end of the party remember she like emerged from somewhere like painted in cupcake like who's got is that your brother's cupcake? So, yeah, I mean, we were like comparing notes at the end of the party and, you know, my parents were there and my husband was there and was like, well, I saw her steal a cupcake. And then someone's like, well, I saw her steal a vanilla one. It's like, well, I saw her steal a chocolate. So girl had her weight in cupcakes and she was just, it wasn't a pretty sight when we got home. I'll tell you that. Well, Nicole, do you have do you have a confession for us? You don't have to. I get to join. We won't oh, put gosh. you on the spot, but you better have one now. Go. Well, <laughs> just kidding. I did. My car did break down the other day. Like after I had, we had done our school day, right? So I worked all day outside. It was a hot day. Um, we went and ran a bunch of errands. Like I picked up groceries. I went and picked up animal foods. So I had like. 400 pounds of animal feed in the back of my minivan and I'm pulling out of the feed store and onto the road and my axle breaks. Oh no, like, that's a bad break. Just, like, it was bad. And that's I not had, good. Like there was no sounds. There was nothing leading up to it. There was no, and I thankfully was able to like pull over to the side. Um, whatever ordaining influence God, whatever you believe in there, you know, I believe God helped me move over to the side of the road um, because it just could not go anywhere. Um, so then I have to call a tow truck, not the minivan. I'm really upset about <laughs> call a tow truck. Um, it's going to be an hour. I've got my two kids in the car. One of them needs uh, the nurse. Like it was that point oh of the day. So my mom comes to my rescue. She picks me up. We load everything in my car or in her car. Um, and I say, I just want to go get ice cream because I can't like leave my car. I have to be back when the tow truck driver's there. So we literally right. go drive right down the street, get ice cream and go back. And then my husband was able to get off of work and we load all of my stuff into his truck. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like musical trucks with all it of your really was. And and then the car seats too, moving back oh and forth. My gosh. Um, but we had ice cream and it helped. And I nursed the baby and we got home and my car was fixed in a couple days. It's all fine. I asked the mechanic to make sure, like, did could I have known this was coming? Like, did I miss something? He's like, Nope, there's no way you could a pin came out. It just like the whole thing went kablooey. Uh. Um, because I also didn't want to be the ridiculous person that just didn't know my car like its axle was gonna break apart like I (laughs) could never have been something that I would have known you mean that terrible grinding and hissing sound for the last six months meant something was I supposed to do (laughs) something right that would be me but yeah so it all ended up fine and my car's fixed and I have my minivan back but it was um it was a story, that's for sure. And and I mean, it, it of course had to happen when I had like 400 pounds of animal feet at the back of my car. Like I'd literally just done all the things and it, it broke down right then. Of course. 
And it was feeding time for the baby. It was feeding time. And you've got car yeah. seats. It's always and, that. Yeah, when it's it rains, of course, that. man. And it was yeah. hot. So, <laughs> yeah. like, super fun <laughs> time hot. to just stand on the side of the road. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Well, I didn't, I didn't have one. I was, like, reaching what? deep down into my brain. And I was like, okay, I'll tell the story of when I was in the first grade. And I really embarrassed myself. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't – I mean, we've already – we don't have to <laughs> You sure you don't want to go there, Megan? No, listen. I, with every fiber of my being, want to hear this story. But I do feel like we can count your confession about your child stealing every yeah. single person's cupcake at the party and just being for the rest yeah. of the day. We can count yeah, that. Your child is just like loving nature's candy. And my child is just... <laughs> popped up on frosting and chocolate and vanilla cupcakes <laughs> and like red dye number seven <laughs> yes. oh my god oh goodness well nicole thank you so very much for joining us this was awesome you inspired us i like want to go and listen to this episode and have all my teacher friends listen to this and be like hey we need to like do more outside because we spend so much time outside but not like actually i feel like in nature like digging in i'm gonna totally order uncle jim's worms I have to do that. <laughs> he's gonna have so many orders after this episode I hope so. but thank you all for listening to montessori moms in the wild if you enjoyed this episode please follow us subscribe and write we are available on spotify and on apple podcast you can follow us on instagram at montessori moms in the wild or email us at montessori moms in the wild at gmail.com We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild, friends. Bye. Bye. No one can see you raising the roof. <laughs> I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. I'm celebrating that we made it through. You know what? Forget it. I'm done. <laughs>